0: This is a 3CR podcast.
1: And this is published or not. Well, I want to know, ask everybody what they know about the Mallee. Look, I know it as a wheat and sheep area, which is going through difficult times with drought right now. Anne Brisden has said her book, Wearing Paper Dresses There. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Okay, look, you write about this area, the Mallee, as if you know it. Have you lived there?
2: Yes, I I grew up in the Mallee. I was actually born in Melbourne, but spent my childhood years in the Mallee, so I know it very well.
1: Uh Ah, I thought so, because the Mallee is like a character in this book. It It talks about its own beauty, but also the harshness it deals out on the people who live there. Look,
2: farmers have tried to control it. Do you think they've succeeded? No, I think they're doing a better job of it now. And I think uh, when I was growing up there, and certainly in my grandfather's years, it was typically white Australian approach to the land, which was uh, dominate it and subdue it. Whereas I think farmers in the Mallee now uh, work in in relationship with the land, so doing a much better job than in my because, childhood.
1: Because of the Mallee, the stump jump. Plough was really invented.
2: Absolutely it was invented because the uh, the melly trees were so stubborn and so refused to, uh, to lie down and die in the face of this invasion and the farmers literally could not get the stumps out of the ground. They were so so deeply embedded in the ground because, as I've said in the book, the stumps are actually the the trunk of the trees
1: yeah I thought that was really quite fascinating Learned yeah. a lot about the Mallee yeah. through this book yeah however the book doesn't start in the Mallee it starts with Bill where is he and who has he met
2: yes well Bill is in the working um western suburbs area of Melbourne and he has come to Melbourne as a result of uh yet another drought and a downturn in the farm and his parents have sent him to Melbourne to get a job so that he can send money back so that they can save the farm and not have to walk off, as the saying is. Walk off? Yes.
1: Who does he meet?
2: He meets Elise by chance because it, uh, Bill stays there saving the farm and it, it uh, moves into the preparing for the Second World War and Elise is a singer and she's... Uh, been involved in going around and singing to these people because uh, Bill is now working in a factory that is making um, important ordnance for the war so he meets her, she comes and sings in the factory and he's swept besotted. away besotted, besotted.
1: absolutely yes. although he knows that she could never boil an egg or you know, she wouldn't be able to cook, cook a uh, pluck a, and kill a chook yes. but he loves her all yes. nonetheless yeah. and they have two children yes, yes. Ruby and Marjorie and then they have to go back to the Mallee. Why? Mm.
2: Uh, I've woven into the story there something that is, was very real up until probably even uh, three maybe decades ago where there sometimes was an expectation when the older family member, so the father of a farm, uh, gets to the point where they're not able to manage the farm anymore and they'll ask one of the sons to go back and manage the farm which is can often Just, be a yeah. uh, quite a difficult thing because there's never any sort of business parameters they they are doing it now they they have great succession planning now because there was always that thing where uh sons could go back with their families like we actually did and manage farms for years and years for no pay because mm. the idea was but then at the end of it they don't actually get the farm
1: oh, so out of the city and into the Mallee where Ruby and Marjorie and this, quote, roamed Pa's house looking for things like reason and explanation. Mm. However, there were
2: some who deemed Elise as unsuitable for the Mallee. Who was that? Oh, Many people, but probably the, um, the, the principal characters there that uh, I, that describe Elise's unsuitability in, at great length is uh Pa. Uh, Marjorie's grandfather who is the, the owner of the farm and Shirley, one of the local people in the town but pa is, pa is very sure she's unsuitable Where everybody drank tea
1: in the Mallee what did Elise drink? Elise drank percolated coffee Oh, Shirley in Doherty said coffee is not normal no one else in the Mallee drank coffee and when Elise had to bring a plate what did she have on it?
2: She had meringues on the plate, beautifully coloured meringues. Oh, uh, definitely not
1: suitable and definitely no. not suitable to serve two
2: shearers. Definitely not suitable for shearers. It's very lucky that they were <laughs> a very kindly bunch of shearers or the union would have been called in. So in another township
1: slide, who does the cooking on the farm now? Uh, Bill took Bill. over the cooking. Yeah, the husband the does husband. the cooking. Yes. Oh, how terrible. <laughs> Now, Marjorie, young girl growing up, desperately wanted a store-bought dress. But what would Elise make you dresses from?
2: Well, uh, Elise was very, very creative and they they did not have a lot of money. So Elise made dresses out of whatever was at hand and if there were some very nice curtains, (laughs) Elise used the curtains because they really didn't need curtains on their windows. They were out in the middle of a paddock and didn't have anybody for miles around. Well, that closest neighbour is Jimmy Waghorn. What did the township and especially the kids
1: think of him?
2: The township and particularly the children picking it up from their parents were uh, almost afraid of Jimmy Waghorn or well, they probably were afraid of Jimmy Waghorn because he had a history going back quite a long way in the district and nobody was could really put their finger exactly on what that history was but everybody knew it was there and they knew it was important history and they knew he was somebody to watch out for so they did a lot of watching out and a lot of making up Mm. Um, stories about what might be behind Jimmy Waghorn.
1: Jimmy Waghorn is the one who gets Elise to play the piano and sing again and warns Pa that he is listening and wants to hear more of it. How do the family sort of view these release singing and playing the piano?
2: The family Viewed it, and I think the girls probably clued into it as children do with relationships with um, their parents that are not with individuals. I am not saying the relationship between uh, Bill and Elise, but when they know that there is something fragile about either of their parents, children will clue in on it. And what uh, what Marjorie and and, um, Ruby realised was that if their mother was singing and playing and doing her artwork, then her mental mental health was good. That she was okay. She was doing all right. But when
1: she's nervy, Marjorie noticed that she's glitters.
2: Yes, yeah, she glitters. Yes, yeah, she glitters. And uh, I use that phrase because um, in some of my my work, I'd see people who um, do have mental health issues, and and when they when they have those aspects where they can be very depressed or very high, I often think of that part where they're very happy and very energetic and very high as gl- and that's where I I
1: got that
2: term because they're happy then that they think life's really good they don't want this state to end.
1: Now Marjorie always sees her older sister Ruby as the one who can calm the mother and uh, but there's this, just this one time that she feels close to her mother and it's when her mother is m- making a rose garden and she makes it all through the day so you know uh, Marjorie stays home and helps her do it but is she really helping
2: no, she's not really helping, and and what I was trying to portray there was that Marjorie isn't yet old enough to 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 recognise the state that her mother's heading into, mm. and she totally believes that the rose garden is going to be a reality. So she is yes. unable to see the reality of the world that she's living in at the moment in the Mallee that it can't can't sustain a rose garden, and she's unable to see you know the encroaching um, crash that is going to happen with her mom, with her mother. So she thinks. She, Yeah, she truly believes that she's there. She's helping her mum and they're Mm. going to have a beautiful rose garden.
1: (laughs) Look, there were other incidents of mental instability involving excessive cleaning, burning things and also talking to plastic flowers. But it was Elise's abilities and differences that started to win the township, uh, started to win admiration from those in the township. The title of the book is Wearing Paper Dresses and Elise made them too – to much acclaim but what happened in the town hall how did she enrapture the locals
2: the first time was when they had a fundraiser for yet another drought that they were having and Elise sang wouldn't it be lovely
1: look I'm going to ask David who has uh, such an ability with voices to voice pa this is the father-in-law the uh, fifth generation Mallee farmer
0: sit down girl Pa said, waving his dripping-clad knife at Elise's chair. ''I've got a few things to say and I'm going to bloody well say them. And you keep your mouth shut, you hear?'' He added, jabbing the knife in Marjorie's direction. Elise sat down and looked at Pa. ''You're a remarkably queer girl, Elise,'' said Pa, ''getting straight to the point. You're not fit for the mallee, you with your queer ways and hoity-toity habits. This mallee's going to bloody kill you, you mark my words.'' Pa proceeded to jam egg and dripping-laden toast into his bristly mouth. But you did all right last night. You tore out of the starting gates, raced down that straight and won by a couple of bloody lengths. I couldn't have done it better myself. Pa banged his hand on the table for emphasis. Marjorie's eyes squeezed into their corners to get a look at Elise while still trying to keep a good look at Pa. Elise said nothing. You showed him what you're made of. Don't you worry about that, said Pa as he tipped hot black tea into his saucer. You're still a bloody useless non-Catholic, but you're family. Pa drank the tea. He nodded at Elise and shoved his chair back from the table. Well, can't be like you women folk, lying around the house all day with nothing to do. And Pa, pleased with himself and the family, stomped out the back door.
1: Look, it was just wonderful too. Um, Beautiful pieces of dialogue in this. And the writing of Pa getting together with all his mates and not saying anything was purely magical yeah. Oh, and distant. absolutely beautiful. Now, all through school, Marjorie felt that she needed to hide the family secret of Elise, but others had secrets too. Who was Jessie?
2: Jessie was originally somebody that uh, Jessie and, and uh, Marjorie fought against. Uh, Jessie was... A strange and wonderful friend that she discovered later on as she was growing up and realising just how isolated and at times terrible the family life was. And he became a very good friend who had his own family secrets that he also and the burdens of family life that he too was uh, trying to deal with in his own way and Mm. keep his own secrets.
1: Every day they travelled together on the school bus. Nobody knew that they had other meetings. No. No. Where and where was that?
2: Well, they used to meet together at night. Marjorie would get up like uh, a very unusual girl. Certainly I wouldn't have been game to do it when I was living on the farm and she'd run off in the dark across uh, the paddocks and meet at the place where Jimmy Waghorn that we've referred to before used to live and she would meet. Uh, Jesse there he would come from his farm which was uh, miles in the other direction Mm -hmm. they would light a campfire and they would sit there and talk and uh, until the train told them it was time to go home so they could get back into bed before anybody's family knew they'd even been out this is
1: another quote from the book with Jesse Marjorie sighed a deep sigh of contentment a very rare sigh she was used to sighs sighs were normal in her life but not signs of contentment. Now, um, Marjorie worried about her mother and worried more that she could be like her mother, mad. Her sister could calm her mother and she was going away to teachers' college. Then there was a really dramatic act in the book which put Elise in a mental institution and Marjorie in the city. Now, the city takes people who are often running away and as you alluded to, Marjorie was good at running. Yes. Is she running to something, running from someone as she said, no one just runs. So would she and her mother go back to the Mallee? Well, I want to read one more bit because the whole reason why she does is it turns out to be operatic. And it turns out to be Elise's favourite opera, Turandot.
2: So I'm going to read just a little bit about that. So Turandot. This is a story about mistakes people make and love and fear. And having to live and having to die. It is about death. It is about trying your hardest, even if it means dying. It is about trying, even when you don't understand. It is about triumphing against the odds. It is about love.
1: And that's what this book is all about. A fabulous read. Anne Brisden and Wearing Paper Dresses by Pan Macmillan. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Just going to
0: switch microphones here because we've had a bit of fun with the microphones this morning. Um, okay, Jan going from the Mallee to the future. Now, the future depicted in Scott Westerfield's Shatter City is frighteningly plausible. While it's adolescent fiction, while it's fantastical, there are echoes of events and situations that are happening today. So, Scott, welcome to 3CR. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, we're in the middle of a conflict in uh, this in Shatter City. In fact, this is the, the second in a series.
3: That's right. Um...
0: In in the future
3: that Shadow City is talking about, there there was once a sort of stable democracy that was worldwide. Things were going fine, but a uh, but th- that that system has been disrupted.
0: And now we have basically uh, city states competing with each other, different political structures, different uh, ways of organization and running themselves. Shreve. What can you tell us about Shreve?
3: Well Shreve is run by an oligarch and it is a perfect surveillance state.
0: Funny about that. Do we have such things today? <laughs> Victoria, another state but's been overrun.
3: <laughs> yes, um that's true. I I I didn't realize there is another city called Good Victoria r- <laughs> and they've they've they basically gone from it's, it's we've gone from a sort of peaceful almost utopian society into one in which war has returned and conquest and all that stuff
0: paz it's a digital city
3: yes they're they're run by an ai so anyone who wants to can just start a conversation with the city itself and talk about you know what they what they want for the future what they want the day to be like and the city will try to respond to them but it's
0: almost plausible it's almost happening today
3: well that's what basically google and some uh, other organizations are trying to do is create a system where you are talking to an object in your house but it's not really the object in your house that matters it's a network of information and services that will try to get you will try to anticipate your needs your wants your desires and there's
0: another city in the background diego another country sort of thing and that's it's almost in the cloud type thing it's not a fully fledged thing in here but it's it, there is its presence here in there's this a distributed
3: world. intelligence that, that occupies all of Diego so you're always in the presence of uh you're always in the presence of the city or the government or the spirit of the city
0: so while on one level this is fantastical I keep getting an echo or in my adult reading of it that this is actually happening now in many ways I mean we have things in the cloud which is almost deifying it in some ways things are in the clouds or um yeah so it's it's frightening um, you now have Shreve trying to overtake Paz, and how are they doing it?
3: Well, um, they they start their attack in a very underhanded way by starting by creating an earthquake. Um, it's a they, they take they dig up an old weapon, and the earthquake basically destroys the services that everyone is used to in Paz. So, the, um, so the, the city becomes dependent on foreign aid, and in that foreign aid, they, they start to bring their surveillance state to bear on another community.
0: And even the paint has digital elements in it that can record things, and they're picking up the biometrics of what's going on.
3: Right. In other words, your house is reading your heartbeat, your eye movements, it, yeah, the, the, the amount of... You know the galvanic skin response that shows how much you're sweating, what you're thinking, what, when you're lying, when you're telling the truth, when you're in love, when you're upset.
0: Were you basing this on anything
3: that's happening today? I mean, yeah, we all are trading away our privacy for certain measures of convenience. It's it's nice for the you know these corporations to know that we're out of toilet paper. It's great for these corporations to know that we're you know we're ordering. Um, we're ordering diapers, so maybe it's time to sell us a lot of other stuff for that for that child.
0: But it also then predicts your movements and directs your movements or can control you. And we've got now countries that are using biometric data and face recognition, facial recognition and all of these things to control people. Of
3: course. Well, everybody has... Um, lots of people have, of course, you're referring directly, I'm sure, to China, which has a social score, which... Um, Which determines a lot, like where you can live and what jobs you can have and what, uh, you know, what futures you can have. Of course, but we have the same thing in the West. We have credit ratings and... um, Well, Google
0: has taken medical data and linked it to Fitbit and all sorts of things. But the other factor is we're also giving away our information willingly in some instances. Right. It's all about
3: our convenience and and part of it is just not paying attention. If you, you know, once you once you pick up a cell phone, you're starting to convey a lot to whoever wants to find the information about you. It registers, you know, they have accelerometers that register how much you walk. They have
0: trackers that say where you are. So, a frightening future ahead for our heroine who is Frey. But now I find this another interesting feature because Frey is having an identity crisis, so to speak. To say the least. To say the (laughs) least. But in some ways, to begin with, um, 16 years old or thereabouts. And um, the right age for addressing these concerns, or you know your readership very well in that regard, because... She's struggling to establish her identity. And the reasons for that I think you can perhaps fill us in on. So she is the daughter of,
3: um, of, the, of the oligarch of Shreve, this terrible and controlling individual who's ruled his city with an iron fist for 10 years. And when he had kids, he decided he didn't want his children used against him. He didn't want them kidnapped or, or killed in some way that would undermine him. So he made sure to have identical twins. He raised one of them as his daughter, the older one by 27 minutes, as his daughter held her to his bosom and as she's being groomed to be the heir. But the other one, the younger one by 27 minutes, is a spare. She's a body double. She goes out in situations where Rafi, the older one, might get kidnapped or might get you know, killed. And she's there to take a bullet for her older
0: sister. But here we go. Frey has to be... Uh, her older sister, but can she be herself if she actually finds her freedom? Who is she?
3: Exactly. She spent her whole life walking like her sister, talking like her sister, dressing like her sister. She has to be a perfect copy.
0: But it speaks to the very need or desire of adolescents to find their identity. Especially when you have a strong older sister. And then you place her in pairs where they actually have a means of artificially supplementing feelings.
3: Right. Path is known as the city where everyone's happy. Everyone basically has a couple of rows of emoji on their arm. And if you touch that emoji and hold it down for a bit you will find yourself feeling that emotion. You will start to gland happiness or sadness or the sort of thing that you and I would do if we wanted to be sad and have a good cry, we might watch a sad movie, listen to a sad song. In Path, you just pick the little crying face, hold it down for a bit, and then you'll get that
0: good cry that you need. Oh, what a brave new world that has (laughs) such people in it. So it's got echoes of Aldous Huxley's Soma and such like in it. Um, But again, it speaks to how we are actually and how adolescents are dealing with emotions and crises and how in our medically-oriented world we're supplementing that and trying... Because you do touch on it. Um, the chaos inside me settles. The jumble of thoughts start to order itself. And after a moment, a strange notion creeps into my head. Maybe Rafi needs her freedom more than my protection right now. Maybe she needs to find herself, even if that means being me for a while. I shake my head not recognising my own thoughts because... They aren't my thoughts. It's the feels sending hormones into my bloodstream. Emotions don't change the fact that guarding Raffi is what I was born to do. I need to find her and protect her. But maybe not this minute. Um, So a lot of adolescents are going through that, working out. Uh, logic, reason, as well as emotion and trying to get it all in balance.
3: Absolutely. And that's why they spend a lot of time self-medicating. And, of course, we mean that sometimes to mean, like, you know, alcohol or drugs. But people also self-medicate, like I said, by listening to sad music, listening to loud music, by exercise, by spinning yourself around in a circle when you're 10 years old. That's all forms of getting out of your head. It's all forms of of trying to control
0: these, you know, these raging hormones inside you. But it, it basically, even though this is set in the future... It's remarkably redolent of what is happening today is what I find.
3: We're at the cusp of all of these technologies and all I've done is exaggerate them and, and put them you know, give them each a city to live in. But they're all we're really living in all those cities right now.
0: Yes. And but how do then adolescents address those concerns today? Given I never I'm an old bloke, you know, receding hairline, grey hair and all that sort of thing. Same. I was born before the computer before the microwave, all of those sorts of things. We never had this, and now the imposition on kids today in all that they've got around them is frightening.
3: And But it is also an opportunity for performance. It's a way of um, saying to everyone who you are as your social media. Like you said, in our day, we might have worn a, um, a T-shirt that says what band we like, and that was about as far as we could go. But now we can go... F- you know, online and and proclaim that band and and live tweet listening to their new new album. But then, do we become that digital image? Are we who we really are? And then that's another way in which uh, the relationship between Rafi and Frey seems like that's the that's what I'm going for. Frey is basically... Or Raffi is basically the Instagram self. She's always beautiful. She always looks great. She always knows what to say. Whereas Frey is, is this more insecure real self that we all have behind our digital persona.
0: But also then Frey needs to be aware of herself in the moment to deal with her crisis. She finds herself, as the novel progresses, supplementing that with those emotional... Right, um, the feels. ...feels. But at the same time... Uh, is that impeding who she is and what she needs to do? Because she's fighting battles and such like to try and regain control, get back to Cole, who's her love interest, and all of these sorts of things. So there's a debate going on here about the uh, viability and wisdom of Fields. Yeah, I mean,
3: she is somebody who doesn't who doesn't have the emotional intelligence to uh, to deal with a technology like that. Just like a lot of uh, teenagers don't have the emotional capacity to go online and suddenly wind up with a thousand followers who are all yelling at them when they get something wrong, or disagreeing with them, or or just telling them they're awesome. Like that's yeah. all. That's a, a weighty thing to carry around. We
0: don't always arm our kids for that. So the crisis is that they've got to try and save Paz. They've got to reunite. Um, there's obviously then going to be a sequel because, in many ways, once one situation <laughs> resolves, there's another crisis. Are you going to go through all of the cities in this way? or? Well, in, yes, in book three, we're going to spend some
3: more time back in Shreve. Uh, book one was mostly about Victoria, right. book two mostly about Path. but in... In book three, we're going back to Shreve, which is really the root of the problem. And they're going to have to break into a perfect surveillance society, which means, again, having to be somebody else, having to pretend, having to walk like somebody else, having to hide your face, get camo, camo surgery, as they call it. And then
0: you also address issues like loyalty um, and such like. And this is an interesting one because you've actually got rebels, people from Victoria, people from Paz, and they're changing allegiances, and we're seeing that in the political world today as well.
3: Well, that's true. But uh, you know, I write for teens and I would say that the big emotions for teens or the big themes for teens um for teenagers is identity is the big one and love and loyalty are the other two that make that up. We define ourselves by our friends, we define ourselves by what uh, you know what we what we're willing to fight for.
0: And just to, to cap it all off, The fantasy. Uh, You've got the knives that sort of fly out and come back. You've got uh, drones that do all sorts of things. Um, Your favorite bit bit of fantasy in all of this? (laughs) Um,
3: Certainly. Well, those of you who've read the Uglies series that this is a sort of sequel series to... Uh, we'll remember that there were these things called hoverboards, which are you know, basically flying skateboards. And and to me, you know, the idea of personal flight is my favorite. And it's the most liberating of the of the technologies. Of all these technologies which are sort of pressing in on my characters and robbing them of privacy, that at least there's some freedom as well and some joy. And
0: they've got bungee suits that help them if they crash and all sorts of things. Right, exactly. So life is, is actually could be quite, uh, quite interesting and uh, riotous and joyful in that regard, except you've got all these nation-states fighting against each other. Scott, we're going to have to in- end the interview there, unfortunately. Uh, the title of this book is Shatter City, which is part of an uh, imposter series? Correct. And the author is Scott Westerfield, and
1: it's from Alan and Unwin. Thank you,
0: Scott. Indeed, thank you.
1: And I was speaking with Anne Bridston about her book Wearing Paper Dresses by Pan Macmillan. Two very different reads. Indeed. But sort of both <laughs> concentrating on teenagers in a, sort of in a certain way and how difficult what? it is. They're the future. From the very future to the very past. OK, thanks again for listening and join in
0: next week. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.